I don't think I need to announce to you what our subject is for the conference. Is we will, how should we say it? We watch. What'd you hear last night? We shall behold him. And I'm going to ask you if you'd like to, you may not need to, keep your finger in the book of Song of Solomon. We're going to see if we can find out a little bit about him. How many of you have never been in one of my classes before? I had a feeling that's what it was. Then where do I start? After 15 years of being associated with CBU, I know so many of the people, but I had a feeling this time I'd be with almost new folk. So let me just take a moment to tell you that I've not always been in a wheelchair. 1959, after 17 years of pastoring an evangelical Methodist faith, I was scheduled to die. My tombstone is already in North Carolina, been empty that long. My funeral arrangements were made, my pallbearers were picked out, my tombstones erected, and I was ready to go home to heaven. I had lost six members of my family because of a genetic disease. Whether they didn't know then what they know about genes and genetics, but I don't know that they could have done anything about it had they known it. But I lost six members of my family, and I was the next one scheduled to go. The doctor gave permission for them to carry me into one of those strange churches <laughs> that I didn't agree with. I liked them, I loved them, I appreciate them, but I was just a little too intelligent. The word is dumb. But they were having a reunion there. Thank you. They're going to keep my back from hitting that. Just straight up and down. Got it. But don't you wish you had my chair? Anyhow, they were having a reunion of the teachers that I had taught with. I'd been a teacher in the seminary and had taught in the Bible colleges. And they were having a reunion. And they wanted me to come. And the doctor gave permission for them to carry me. So they gave me a shot for pain, put me in the car, and took me 60 miles. Carried me in, but they didn't carry me out. The preacher that came was a superannuated Pentecostal superintendent, elderly man who was visiting that morning. And he got up and said, I don't understand this, but God told me I'm supposed to preach on where is the God of Elijah. And said, I told him this morning at 4 o'clock that I preached that when I pastored here. He said, I keep the books, you do the preaching. <laughs> and he preached, and where is the Lord God of Elijah? He didn't say one word about tongues, 
had already been asked to be carried out. He didn't say anything about divine healing. I would have said that's gone. That's past. We don't need the miracles now. We have the word. And some of you are familiar with that kind of teaching. I know. You can't follow signs. And you don't look for that. So they carried me in. And he preached. But he said something that not one soul in that church knew but I. He did not know that the dearest friend I ever had on earth was my daddy. And he didn't know that my, and I was my daddy's pastor for nine years. And my daddy walked up to me into my room and said, Daughter, Pastor, I think we'd missed something. He had his Bible in his hand and said, I believe we've missed something. And I said, why? He said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And I said, but Papa, we don't need that now. That's past. We have the word. He kind of dropped his head. He had respect for his pastor. That's the last time I got to talk to my daddy of the cosmic conversation because he became worse and the next morning I was stricken and they carried me to the hospital. I was carried to my daddy's funeral in an ambulance, 60 miles. They carried me in that church. The doctor gave permission and said it wouldn't hurt me because they knew. But he didn't say a thing about shouting I knew old-time Methodists had shouted. I would have agreed with that, maybe. He didn't say anything about anything that would offend me. He talked about how great the God of Elijah is. And stopped and looked at me and declares he doesn't remember it. He didn't know that he did it, he said. And said, my beloved, you may have carried, you may have followed, the dearest one you have on earth to you, and left him at a green mound. And that's exactly what I've done. I told the mortician, do not bury my daddy in front of my eyes. I've heard ashes to ashes the last time I want to hear it. So I said, take the green grass and cover the mound where you remove the dirt, put my daddy's casket there, and let me say goodbye to him there. And turn my ambulance around and take me home. They took me back to the hospital. And I glanced back and saw my daddy's casket on top of a green mound. And that man said, you may have followed behind the dearest one you ever left on this earth and left him at a green mound. But he didn't take his God away from you. He wants you to know that the God of Elijah is still alive today. Now that's prophecy, a word of knowledge you can believe in. I knew my daddy had got to heaven and told God he had a dumb daughter down there preaching. <laughs> Go get her straightened out. He didn't want me to come home then, he wanted me to preach. The Holy Spirit punched me and said, Go forward for prayer. I said, They aren't giving an invitation. 
He said, go forward for prayer. The third time, I told him to stand me up, and they took me forward. I released him, went up to in front of the preacher and said, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'd do if you did me that way. I might say, if you don't know, how do I know? But I said, maybe you ought to pray for me. I thought he'd just bless me. He didn't stomp his foot. He didn't call out any demons. He didn't raise his voice. He just said, Father, meet every need of this woman's life. And said it so kind, so sweet. Kind of a relationship like he and God were on intimate terms. Evidently they were. Because then I looked up and said, thank you. But I won't tell you what God asked me, except I said yes. And I said, thank you, and started back to my seat with braces and all, and got to the seventh row and heard God speak. I heard him audibly. And you will be shocked when I tell you that this Methodist seminar professor looked up and saw in red letters right in front of her face what I just heard him say to me. He said, if you be willing and obedient, you should eat the good of the land. And of the land stood up in red letters. I knew I was going to live. I didn't feel anything. I turned and said to the preacher, may I say something? He said, testimonies are always in order in this place. I said, I'm going to live. And I was holding a book that I'd taught for 17 years. God just told me so. He said, God's met the little lady. I started to my seat. And the Holy Spirit said, are you willing to be identified with this people? Down the drain with all my prejudice. All my reputation as a Methodist president of a college. Down my dream went all that, that I didn't believe in. And I said, yes. I said it so quickly I didn't have time to think about it. And when I did, the power of God struck the base of my cranium throughout my body. And God totally healed me. I shouted for an hour and 20 minutes. I danced when I didn't believe in it. I ran the aisle when I was supposed to be dignified. And I was saying, I don't hurt, I don't hurt, I don't hurt. Look at me, look at me. When I came to, about an hour and 20 minutes later, I was over in a corner with both hands up, trying to thank God for healing me. And I'd exhausted every adjective I had in that time. And about that time, somebody else decided they could do it better than I could. And the Holy Spirit took over. He didn't ask me if I believed in tongues. He just magnified God for healing me. I drove my automobile 60 miles home. 
The following Tuesday, I was declared by Dr. John Allgood in Greensboro, North Carolina, that I was every whit whole. And he said, stop, come back and get a prescription. I said, what for? He said, vitamins, because you'll never slow down. <laughs> 37 years, I had wonderful health. Not one iota of problem. Not even but one hot flash. And just about the time I had a new mandate on my life, I had pastored then in Texas for 17 years, had a church, we had a college, academy, little lamb school, preschool, television ministry, international tape ministry, we were known as Fountain Gate Ministries. And most of you know about that place. You may not have known my name, but you know that the word ran from that place. Just about the time God said to me, I want you to go as a mother in Israel and look for leaders. So what am I doing here? And tell them to get their leaders ready. The church is about to go into the land where they have never been. I don't think you heard me. You're too quiet. He said, the church is going in to possess the land. I said they went in the land before. He said they went in, but they didn't possess it. He said, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amalekites, the Girgashites, the Backbites, <laughs> married the ites, and never got what I sent them after. I didn't send them after the ites, I sent them to destroy the ites and get the head of the king. Did you catch it? Satan thinks he owns that land. He said this time they won't marry the ites. They'll conquer the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amalekites, the Girgashites. This time they won't come out with the spoil of the battle. And the spoil of the battle is what every war that had ever been in the Bible recorded. They would come out with the silver, the gold, the robes. He said, this time they won't come out with that. This time they're coming out with the head of the enemy. Glory. We're going after Satan. I said, we're going after Satan. And this time he said, she, the church, will bring his head and lay it in the lap of the church and drive a nail drive a nail into his head and the Bible calls this book a nail it's one of God's instruments and he said now I want you to go look for leaders for the last 11 years my husband and I have been traveling and we touched just about every state in the Union but three. About the time I got ready to start traveling, the doctor said to me, you have scoliosis and osteoporosis. Don't think I didn't fight a battle. Don't think I haven't heard you got healed before. Why not now? I don't have those questions anymore. I just simply said to the devil, you might have bothered my back, but you didn't touch my mouth. 
and you haven't touched my mind. And I've moved into the greatest life I've ever dreamed I could ever know. My husband and I had experienced and seen things we never dreamed we could see. The greatest thing on earth to me today is not for you to see signs and wonders. And you're going to hear me about that. The greatest thing today is for him to take that book and life it in me, make me pregnant with it, and then take that seed and deliver it into you, and you go home pregnant with the Word of God and Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's called revelation. It's called revelation. It's you going home with more of Jesus in your heart. Now, our subject says we're going to see him. We're going to behold him. Now, my question to you is, why can't we see him? What's been wrong? Why have we waited so many years? Why have we said that we've been willing to accept from his hand and not his face? Now, don't read what I'm not saying. Listen to what I am saying. There's a difference in reaching out and getting his blessings and coming into his presence and being changed. He shall change us from glory to glory. He shall change us, change us. How many of you are not satisfied with where you are today? How many want to be changed? Then how many know why you need to be changed? Do you know what happened to you? Do you know why you haven't been able to see his face? Why we haven't been able to commune with him? I'd like you to take a journey with me for a few moments. We're going back into the quarters of eternity. We're going back before time ever began. The Bible doesn't begin with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Time begins there. Follow me. Now, I, need, I don't have a little time, and I want you to follow me. We're going back before God ever split an eon in two. That's an age. For the Bible says he was forming eons upon eons upon eons, ages upon ages upon ages upon ages. He wasn't hammering on the house. All right. I said he wasn't hammering on the house. I said he wasn't up there hammering on the house. He was creating, they were creating ages upon ages upon ages. When the triune Godhead, not Trinity, the triune Godhead became a Trinity later. They were three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they were equal. Jesus was not Jesus then. He was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So back in the eons of the eons, before God ever split the one called eternity in two, dropped it to earth and called it time, and then set his plan in action, and one day time will be no more, and we're going back into eternity. 
Now back in the eons where they don't tell us anything about, I'd like to take you back because Paul tells us about it. In the Godhead, we found out that our Father had a need. And that blew all my theology out the window. That I've said year after year, year after year, God is self-sufficient, totally complete, has need of nothing. And everybody says, Amen. Only to know that's wrong. He did have a need. He wouldn't have had a need had he not been loved. But love has to have a receiver. And love has to have a responder. Or it will die. And God doesn't have love. God is love. Now wait till the Holy Spirit brings that to you as a reality if he hasn't already. God is love. So what you're going to see is not his thundering voice, not his kingliness. What we're going to see is who he is. He is love. And the Song of Solomon is his love book. The Song of Solomon introduces us to him in a way that no other book in the Bible does. They mention it. But God had a need. And God revealed that need to the other two members of the Godhead. Jesus was the Word, and the Holy Spirit was the breath of God. The three equaled the Godhead. Well, when God's need was expressed, the Godhead went into action. They agreed with the Father's need and said, if he wants a family, God had a desire. His desire was to have a family, not just children, but children in his character, in his image, and in his character. Now hear my words carefully. Not only in his image, but we lost that. But he wanted children just like him, the ones who have his nature, his spirit, his attitude. Come on. He wants children just like him. Daddies love it when their children act like daddy. He expressed his need, his desire, and all three members of the Godhead having the same quality, agreed in union that my daddy would get what he wanted. So the Godhead went into action, and Jesus said, if you're going to have a family, you'll have to have a son. Biologically, that doesn't need to be explained. The daddy provides the sperm. And Jesus was the word, and he became willing to become the son of God, the seed of God. Come on. Don't we call this the seed? Don't we call this his word? Don't we say this is the son in action? He became the seed of God, stepped down, we call it kenosis, and became in the Father, and out of the Father came his begotten Son. The Greek word is ek. He came out of God. So Jesus paid a supreme price. He was the Word then, and volunteered 
to be implanted into God, go into God, and come out from God as the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit said then he'll need the breath to breathe them, the family. And if he's going, I'm going to carry him. I'm going to take him down there and introduce him to them. Honey, we could just walk the book. I love it. I just love to get in it and dig out these jewels. Are you having a good time? So then they swore an entheistic covenant among themselves that my daddy would get what he wanted. And that when it was finished, he'd have a family just like their daddy. Not only back in the image, but with his nature, his attributes, his quality, his actions, we will look like our daddy, talk like our daddy, walk like our daddy, We'll be part of the family. We won't be living out in a little house somewhere called a mansion. I just blew your theology. I'll have to pick it up later. Come on. So they swore that my daddy would get what they wanted. So they said, let's go to earth. Daddy said, if I'm going to have a family, I want a big one. So I've got to have a nursery. So let's get a nursery big enough to put them in. So they came and made the earth to make a nursery big enough to plant the family. But they knew, my daddy said, Papa, Abba, Father, said, I do not want puppets. I want them to be my children by choice. So before the foundation of the world, he chose the children to be his choice and wrote their names down then in the Lamb's Book of Life, not when you got saved. And before the foundation of the world, he ordained, preordained, predestined that you would be his child and predestined when he would bring you here and for what? Come on. And they swore that it would happen. But knowing that they would be that, he said, but I don't want them to be puppets. I want them to choose to be chosen. So I will choose them now and then give them the privilege to choose to be chosen later. And so the day you, you thought you got saved, you just cashed your check. The day you thought he wrote your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life, no, you just found out it was there. And it will never be erased unless you choose for it to be erased. So he chose us to be chosen, and we chose to be chosen, and therefore we are the chosen generation that's chosen to be chosen. And we're continually choosing to be like him. So they came to earth and made us in God's image. They did not make us in the, his nature. Nature is not made except by choice. I hope you hear me. You're just as holy today as you want to be. You're just as righteous today as you want to be. You have a choice, which is the greatest thing that God ever gave you other than Jesus. Because you choose him, 
He's already chosen you, but then you choose him, and then you continually choose to be like him. And so they gave us a free moral choice, and choice has to be tested. So they three came to earth and made the family in God's image, but not in his nature. Put us in the garden to be tested and gave us the power of choice. Made the first couple. And if you have time to pick up on the theme, let me drop you something real quick. God never intended to be put in the Moses tabernacle. In the pre-dawning of eternity, God never intended to be put in a Solomon's tabernacle. He never intended for that to be his permanent home. We're going home as the tabernacle, and we're not going in David's tabernacle. We're going in the temple of God that we have become. Come on. And honey, he's going to get it. And no demon and no devil is going to stop him. Let's go build a temple for me to live in and my people to worship me. But they gave us the choice, and mankind chose not to follow. The temptation came in the wilderness, in the garden rather, and there mankind fell. Now up until that time, man and woman were equal. God never made us like this, or like this, and we're not going home that way. When he gets through undoing, outdoing, and overdoing everything the devil's ever done, we're going to be back where we were to begin with, and there won't be a devil to interrupt us anymore. If you don't shout now, you don't have a shout. Jesus came to undo, outdo, and overdo everything the devil has ever done. God's going to get his temple, and we're going home just like him. Provided we choose to be made into his nature. Made in his image, yes, by their choice. We had no choice in that, but we have all the choice in whether or not we want the character and the nature of our daddy. Now, when they fell, but before they fell, God walked with them. All three members of the Godhead walked with mankind. And man and woman walked together. And God walked with them. <clears throat> don't tell me one day, I don't believe it. He walked with them until they could have continually walked with him and he would have poured in, listen carefully, his wisdom, his righteousness, his holiness, his sanctification, his power, and we did not get it. We did not get it. But thank God, when Jesus came, he brought it. He became unto us wisdom, righteousness, holiness, sanctification, and power. And if we choose, we can have his wisdom, oh, his righteousness, his holiness, his sanctification and his power because it's been set to our account and put in the deposit with our name on it and as we choose to be chosen as much as we choose to be chosen we can become that much more like our daddy 
You think I don't get blessed? I'm about to explode. But when God made them, now listen carefully, they were not a tripartite being. Now don't put your tomatoes down. Don't throw your rocks. I'm going to fix it. God did not make us a body, soul, and spirit. He made mankind, he says, a living soul. Read the Bible. He made man's spirit and body. What do you think we're working on now to get rid of that soulish nature? Come on. He made man a living soul. And that person, uh, that living spirit in his image was walking with him, clothed in a human vessel called Adam. And when they made the choice, something happened to that couple. Their spirit died. Their spirit died. And there fell inside of them a veil called a veil of flesh. Come on. That separated that other part and it became carnal and it became our soulish nature. It's Mr. I or Sister I or whatever you want to call her with a dead spirit. So we got here, we had a rebellious will. Have you ever seen the baby say yes first? I never have. No. That's like the fallen Adam. Carnal mind. We educated. I really did an excellent job talking about it last night. We exalt mankind, but the higher his carnality becomes. God said none of that didn't come from heaven, and it's not coming back. So we're born with a carnal mind, and we're born with the warped emotions. I don't believe in that. I don't dance. And we will determine God's will by our emotions, our environment, and our heredity. Grab those three words, get the tape later, and take notes on it. That's what's causing a lot of people now not to find God as he's beginning to move. They're trying to measure the move of God by their own personality, their own environment, and their own heredity. And he said to me, I'm going to destroy all three of them. Amen? Amen. I was born here, cute little creatures, darling little darlings, but we were dead in trespasses and sin. Our spirit man was dead. So when Jesus came, the same blessed, infinite, glorious third person of the Godhead that brought the seed of God and placed him in Mary's uterus is the same one that came to your dead spirit and brought the same seed and planted him in your dead spirit and you came alive in your spirit and it's Christ 
in you the hope of glory. Am I going too fast? Am I making sense? But you're left with that other part. And the Holy Spirit has planted Jesus in you. And he wants to grow up. He wants to come to full stature. And he can only do that as we're willing to give up our will, our way, our wants, our work, our walk, our worship, our warfare. And to the degree we'll give up us, we can have him. So there's the veil inside of us that keeps us from seeing him. I'm not talking about seeing him up yonder. I used to say, blessed the pure in heart, for they shall, shall see God. And I thought I was talking about heaven. I didn't know that the infinite blessed Holy Spirit had a knife in his hand that was going to rip the veil open and line upon line and precept upon precept. I was going to get to see my daddy while I walked in the human flesh revealed to me by the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. Shout it. It's not instantaneous. It's line upon line. And he's not going to take it away from you. You say, but aren't we tripartite beings now? Yes. That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I pray that the God of peace will sanctify, and that's not sanctify. <laughs> that sanctify you, body, soul, and spirit. So he's having to work on the whole man. Because our body's going to decay, he's going to have to give us a new one. Our soul's going to have to be delivered, and our spirit's been redeemed. Come on. And when he gets through with it, he will have redeemed it all. And there won't be a trace there's ever been a devil on earth. Because we won't come out like the maidus, we're coming out higher than the maidus. We're coming out like he had planned for us to be before man ever fell. And they didn't get it, but we're going to get it. And it's called filling the church with his glory. From glory to glory, he's changing me. But it's only to the degree that we're willing to let him take his knife. I said, I was standing in Largo teaching in a seminary when I heard it come out of my mouth. By the way, when my Holy Spirit came, he became my teacher. I re-enrolled in Bible college. I went to the primary department, got me a footstool and sat at the feet of the teacher because he said to me, you have spent 17 years listening to what they said I said. Why don't you ask me? I wrote the book. So I found out he knows more about it than anybody else. And I hear him say things I've never known. I hear things and I'm I'm bursting, I'm bursting inside with something new that he's given me that I don't have room to teach it yet, but I'm going to tell you something, honey. The half has not yet been told. Just get ready to let him teach 
and you'll be surprised how he's going to anoint our eyes as we lend our ears to him and what we're going to hear. And I was standing, teaching, and sanctimoniously singing, I can come in to the holy place. I was going back to Moses' tabernacle. I loved the tabernacle. I taught the tabernacle. It was one day my baby. I carried a miniature replica made by a Jewish grandson and of a pre Jewish pre rabbi. And I took it and taught it minutely, piece by piece. It wasn't destroyed. It was fulfilled. But he, I was singing, I can come in. And I realized that's what we do now. We say, let's go on in to the holies. He said to me, what are you doing out there? It blew my mind. I staggered. I said, what? He said, what are you doing out there? He said, I'm not in Moses' tabernacle. That's past. I'm not in David's tabernacle. That's been fulfilled. I'm not in Zerubbabel's tabernacle. He said, you don't have to come between the veil. He said, what did I do at Calvary? He said, I took my hands and from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. Be careful about the people who are trying to rip your veil. They don't have the authority. God took his hands and ripped the veil in the temple. Come on. Are you his temple? Are you his temple? Come on. We're going to see his face. We're going to see his face. He said, I ripped that veil in two to show you what I'm going to do inside of you and my church, the temple. But he said, we're not building a temple in heaven. Then there's not a temple in heaven yet. He's working on it down here. And he's working on it with rocks made out of stone, each one individually until it fits together and it forms the temple called the tabernacle of God. And when he gets through with it, it's not going to be a matter what nations it's when he gets all the pieces put together for him to dwell in. He's going to have his family ready to go home. And the gate, the Bible says, but they will open the gates of heaven and they will shout from heaven, here comes the tabernacle. Come on, come on church. Here comes the temple. Here comes the temple. And notice the next lines. And God is down there in her midst. He's here. We somehow think he's well. Now he's big enough to feel up there, but he's big enough to feel down here, and he's big enough to feel down here, and he's little enough to feel here. He's big enough to feel here. He's building his tabernacle, and when he gets it through and fills it with his own image, and builds the temple and moves in and fills the temple with his glory. 
Heaven's going to split its gates. The gates are going to swing open wide. And heaven's going to shout, Here comes the church. Here comes the tabernacle. Here comes the bride. And God, God is in her midst. I said, but you said you was going to split the veil. When it was all over and I realized I had taught something I didn't know and didn't understand really, I went over and sat down and cried like a baby and said, my God, what have I done? I've told these people that they aren't going to be tripartite beings. I've told them that they didn't... He said, daughter, you've been preaching it ever since you've been saved, ever since you've been preaching. He didn't say since again. Sword. Come on. That as I move in with it, I divide asunder the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and I fulfill the temple. And I said, then he said, the word will come from me into them. Not here, but bypass your carnal mind and become a life, living knife and go in cutting and come out healing and unveiling the veil, line upon line, precept upon precept, a little here and a little there. You'll say, I see it, I see it, I see it. We'll say, I didn't see this before. It wasn't in the book before. It was, your eyes just weren't open and your veil wasn't open, but line upon line and precept upon precept, he's gonna split that veil, he's gonna split that veil until there won't be anything left except spirit man wrapped in a brand new body when we go home. Hallelujah. Now we don't have to wait for it to be split there. As we yield to the Holy Spirit to the degree that we give up our will, our way, our wants, our words, our walk, our work, and our worship, we can have His. To the degree that you're willing, your will, to, you're still choosing. I don't want this. I don't want to keep this. This is not like my daddy. And the Holy Spirit said, I've come to show you Jesus. And what he's going to do is unsplit that veil, line up and line, and the Jesus that's been living in you all those years is going to begin to be revealed. It's called revelation. And all of a sudden, this book becomes a person. And that person is written on the tablet of your heart. You're not going to take leather and India paper to heaven but the word is going home. Come on. Come on. The word left heaven. And he's not writing it now on paper.
He said to me one day, would you like for me to tell you how I wrote a verse? And I said, well, evidently, I don't know. I knew he had something on his mind. That's my teacher I'm talking about. And I said, evidently, I don't, I don't know it or you wouldn't be asking me. He said, would you like me to tell you how I really wrote that verse? My word will not return unto me void. I said, yes. He said, I won't scold you for picking it up and saying my word won't return void when you read it. But he said, where was the word to begin with? I said, in heaven. He said, according to Philippians, the second chapter, he emptied himself. You're about to catch on. He emptied himself. He parked is the word. He didn't pour it out. He parked it. He became God-man, but he didn't use the God nature. He walked in man and went through everything because he's going that same way again. You didn't catch it. He's in you, and he's taking you home. Come on. He's not a way maker. He is the way. He's not a way shower. He's the way home. And you go with him. He is the way. And he walked it before, and he's taken all of those same seven steps again because he came and became the way and then moved in you and said, let's go home. We were lost. And he said, I walked it before. He parked. The Greek word is he parked. The anthropic God, God-man. But he didn't use the God nature because he wants to walk his walk in us and take us in this flesh with his divine nature because he knows how to walk it. He's walked this way before. Come on. Come on. Jesus lives in you. And he's walking you home. And he knows the way to go. He's been this way before. Come on. Spirit of God's all over me. I can hardly contain it. Not it, him. He said, I emptied apart myself, but I'm not going home empty. I'm writing my word again. I wrote it the first time on Mount Sinai with fire. I wrote it the second time on parchments of skin. But now I'm writing it on tablets of heart flesh. And it's a person. And I am letting them become the word. I'm writing it and they are becoming epistles. Come on, word. Come on, word. Come on, word. And there's not going to be one jot or one tittle missing when he gets back home. Because we become the word. He said you become living epistles written and read of all men. So they read him when they see you. They read him. What is the gospel according to you? What is the gospel according to you? One day he's going home. The living word. 
and the word is going back where it left. That's not in a little house on the hillside of glory. That's back in the Godhead where he left. Come on. Now that'll blow your mind. He left the Godhead. And he prayed just before he went back. Father, these that were thine, you gave them to me. And I'm asking you to let me bring them back with me, with you where I was before the beginning. So we're not going to better get a little house on the hillside of glory. We're going back home in the infinite, almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, immutable, immaculate, emancipated, incarnate, theanthropic God who's going to ever be unfolding world upon world, realms upon realms, yet to one eon upon one eon, and then he'll fold into another one, and then into another one, and then to another one. Honey, you can have a little old house if you want it. I'm going in to know God, move in God, live in God. God. He's my daddy. I'm going home. He cut himself open and divided himself and came after us and I'm going back home with him. Come on, church. I don't want to hurt your carnality. I do too. I want to destroy it. <laughs> but it is pathetic. And this is not condescending. It is pathetic what we have done in denominations with the Word of God. We've had Jesus, a carpenter, up there hammering on houses. And we call it a mansion. And we're so carnal, we can't think of not getting it. If that's what you want, uh-uh. The word mansion is not in the Bible. It's in the King James Version. But will you listen carefully if I share something with you? The word is placement. He's gone to prepare a placement for us in the Godhead. He's gone to prepare a placement. He said it, but we didn't read it. Translators didn't know how to say it, but he said it. I've gone to prepare a place for you, not a house. Now I'm going to drop what I'm bursting on and I'm going to spill it. I'm having a ball over the word house. How big do you think God's house would have to be to bring him home from all the nations, all the tribes, all the earth, all the redeemed? How big would his house have to be? Do I have till 12 o'clock? How big would that house have to be? Hang on. But how big is God? Yeah. 
God said, I want children not to live out there in some little house. The word is eons, it's placements. Is he's gone to prepare worlds up on top of worlds, up on top of worlds. And Hosea said, we'll ever be coming to know our God. You'll never get tired. You won't need to play golf. And you won't need to play a harp. You'll be so busy getting to see your daddy as he unfolds himself, the infinite, almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent and beautiful, immaculate, emancipated, incarnate, theanthropic God, when he unveils an eon and we walk with him, and then he goes into another one, and then another one, and then another one, worlds upon worlds upon worlds upon worlds. Honey Bunch, we've got something coming on that they've never told us about, but the teacher has come, and the teacher wrote the book, and the teacher said, I've got something to tell you. Jesus has come that you might have God's life and you might have it, live in it, move in him. In God we live. In him we live. In him we move. What makes you think you're going to move out and get in a little house? You was born in, in the household of faith. Paul said, we were born in the household of faith. In him I live. Well, I'm not going to get out and go visit his mansion. But we roll him out in the casket and say, God needed him. He was a carpenter. And Jesus needs him a better work on mansions, honey. What God's going to make has already been made. He already made it to come after us for it. Come on. But we don't have to wait for the first glimpse of him because we've got the one inside of us who came to split the veil. And it's line upon line and precept upon precept as we behold him We're going to get to see his face brighter and brighter and brighter. And as we come in the throne room with him and bow at his feet and look up, we're going to hear words and we're going to say words we've never said before. We're not going to reach just for his hand. We've lived with his handfuls of blessings. It's wonderful for him to touch us. But I want to see him. I've seen him in the spirit. He stood at my feet about an hour and a half one night. It's in my book out there on 12 Stones of Remembrance. But I saw him in his glorified body. I saw Jesus in his glorified body but not what I'm going to behold, what I see now. Because the Holy Spirit came to unveil him. And then he said, when he shows you me, as he shows you me, I'm going to show you your daddy. Come on. And I used to say, blessed the pure in heart, for they shall 
see God. We've relegated everything either to the past or projected it to the future. And the devil has cheated us out, plus denominations, traditions, prejudice, carnality, cheated us out of the revelation of who we are, where we are, where we live, in whom we live, and where we are going, and the God of our Father, our Abba Father, and it takes the Holy Ghost himself to get his knife and start splitting line upon line, precept upon precept, until we can say, I see him, I see him, I see him. We call it this, we say, I never saw that before. I never saw that before. I didn't know that was in there. Well, that's seeing him. He is the word. So let him, let the Holy Ghost take it off of this paper and put it on the tablets of your heart and it becomes a person and he begins to inhabit your tabernacle and fill your temple until he's going to move you out line upon line and fill your temple with your glory, his glory. And it won't be your will, it'll be his. Won't be your way, it'll be his. Until his te your temple is going to be full of his glory and one day he's going to fill you and 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 he's going to fill the church with his glory and we're not going out of here some night on a fire escape He's going to take us to the top of Mount Transfiguration and pull back the curtain and let the world see and all eyes. Isaiah said, and all eyes, all eyes, all flesh shall see the glory of God and the world shall see the church full of the glory. And you talk about revival, you talk about harvest, they'll come flying when they see us full of the glory. But right now we begin to see him a little upon little. And we hear such words as, Thou art my beloved. Let me stop and say something to you. The Song of Solomon is the book for the bride, not a courting couple. If you don't ever remember anything else I said, have never tried to understand anything else. Listen to this. The Song of Solomon for a courting couple would be pornography. And the Holy Ghost did not write pornography. Pornography has been made because the sanctity of the marriage has been polluted. The Song of Solomon is for the bride and the bridegroom. And the words that you hear in the Song of Solomon, Thou art my beloved. Kiss me with your kisses. Lay your head on my breast. Let me touch your thighs. Thou art like the Tower of David. Thine eyes are like the pools of Heshbon. He says, but thine eyes are like the dove's eyes. I want to preach to you in the morning on dove eyes. Dove eyes see him. Dove eyes are not peripheral. Dove can't move their eyes this way and that way. I just spoiled the message in the morning. The dove sees one way. 
And he said, Thou art my beloved. Thou art fairer than the lilies of the valley. Thou art the lilies of the valley. Thou art like trees of righteousness. Thou art like the fruits of all the ripened trees that's never been touched by an insect. Thy lips are precious. She says back, kiss me with your kisses. And he picks up his kisses. Come on. And kisses your lips with his word. And you salvage, you, you revel in it. And he walks through a book and uses types and shadows, metaphors and parables, and parabolic expressions. And it makes me angry when I hear somebody say, the Song of Solomon is not a clean book. Well, it depends on who you are. If you're the bride, and honey, the bride is not made that by conscript. The bride is a bride by choice. The bride is a bride by choice. Draw me. Draw me. Draw me. Now I'll run after you. Keep calling me. I'm coming. I want to be more like you. He said, come on. I'm going to take you to your daddy. Holy Spirit says, come on. I'm going to unveil Jesus. Come on. I'm going to split that veil a little. And you're going to say, oh, I didn't know that. I never saw him. Let me, let me run. Let me run. Let me run. Let me run. And she runs off from him. And he comes back and knocks on the door. But he doesn't knock with a hammer. He doesn't even knock with his fist. He speaks his word. Knock. 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 Open. Now come. Come out. Come, my beloved. Come, my beloved. Come off of the pages of the book. My heart indicteth a good matter. Mine eyes have seen thine eyes. But I'm not satisfied because the Shulamite girl has seen something the daughters of Jerusalem have not seen. In the Song of Solomon, you see two different classes of women. You see the little Shulamite girl that they don't think there's much to her. She's just a little shepherdess. She's been looking after sheep. She's been tending to the flock. And the daughters of Jerusalem, the church world, says, where is this beloved of yours? You're always talking about him. You're always talking about how sweet he is, how precious he is. You sing to him. You all, where is he? She said he's gone down to his lily bed. He's where? He's gone down to his lily bed. What's he doing down there? He's gathering lilies. He's getting ready for a wedding. What's he doing down there? He's feeding on the fruit. He's gone down to his trees. Now he doesn't have barren trees. He's cursed those. He has fruit trees. It's called fruit of the spirit. Come on. He's gone down to his garden. And she said, well, I'm going to run after him. 
They say, oh. <laughs> she talks like somebody out of space. No, you're out, you're out of this space, up in his garden. He's gone down to a lily bed. Well, did you ever read in the epistles, the gospels, where he answered them so cute when they wanted to know who's going to reign with him? And he said, have you ever considered the lilies of the field? How they grow. Have you ever? He said, do it, so I did it. I got to considering lilies of the field because I found out it's lilies that he's going to have at his wedding. And he feeds on lilies. So I got to studying and looking up lilies. And I found 14 characteristics. I can't even give them to you now. 14 characteristics of the lilies that's not with other flowers. One thing about them is they do not depend on the water around them. They have a deep tap root that goes deep and goes toward the mouth of the fountain and doesn't stop till it hooks in to the main river. That's where it gets its water supply. I found out the lily he's talking about, the Kone lily, has five petals, and five is the number of redemption. And I found out that it grows on mountainsides. It grows in the high places, in the hidden brooks, in the hidden streams, where the shepherd takes his flock to drink. I found out that it has a little gold center. And that little gold center has three golden petals inside of it. It looks like a solid mass of gold. But you see, you don't get up early enough to watch it. On the mountains of the Lebanon, up on top of mountain Lebanon, where the trees of Lebanon grow, the dew begins to fall early in the morning before everybody else gets up. And as the dew begins to fall, that little lily opens up that little golden cup inside of it and starts drinking the morning dew until it's full. Then it closes up and all day long, it never bothers about the contaminated water that's around it. It's not bothered by the crowd. It has its own water to drink. If you drink the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. What's he doing down there? He's feeding. They're feeding him. He said, I was hungry. Oh, we gave that to good works. It's all right. But he didn't say they were hungry. He said, I was hungry. And you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Who wants to tell what the rest of it is? We gave it to feeding the poor. I was in prison. I was in there, but I was locked up. I wasn't let out. I was hungry. 
and you didn't feed me. And I heard him one night when he called me to preach. If you love me, feed my sheep. And not too long ago, one night, I was stretched out across the bed. And I said, Jesus, I do love you. Do you know that I love you? And he said, yes. Do you remember way back in Martinsville, Virginia, years ago, I told you, if you loved me, feed my sheep. And I love him enough this morning to bring you some food. He said, I was hungry. You came hungry, didn't you? Well, you're supposed to be fed. That's what I was hungry. You fed me. I was naked. I didn't have the righteousness. You clothed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. And I was in prison. I was in bondage. I needed to be delivered, and you let me out. Have you ever watched my lilies grow? Where has he gone? He's gone down now to his lily bed. What's he doing down there? He's going to gather lilies for the wedding. Come on. Do I make sense? Well, my time is up. I have in my lap what I wish I could share with you. I have a manual. This is not a sales pitch because I don't have it with me. But I have a manual that's this thick on what went went on between the bride and the bridegroom in the Song of Solomon. If you'll stop out there and get the address, oh, I'll give it to you. And you can write my office, and I'll mail you a syllabi on the Song of Solomon. Well, you can walk with him through the camphor trees. You can walk him through the acacias. You can walk with him through the cedars of Lebanon. You can go with him through the dew of the morning. You can hear him knock at your door. And then you'll run away, and you can't find him, and you'll think you've lost him. And he'll say, I was right behind the door all the time. You just didn't let me in. It's a love book written to the bride of Christ. It's not written to carnality. It's not written to minds. Blessed are the pure in mind. You've come to have his mind. The bridegroom is here. But listen, line upon line, the Holy Spirit has come to split that veil. And you'll get a glimpse of him. Then you'll see more of him. Then you'll see more of him. Then all of a sudden, he'll say, look, Look, there's your father. There's your father. And you begin to worship. And you'll see all three of them. Come on. Now, hang on. When he's through restoring the church, when he's through restoring the bride, we'll be back in his image and we'll be there with his character. We'll have his nature. And we will have more than the first couple had because they didn't walk with him and he's walking in us to take us home.
Now hang on while I tell you this. It won't be long till he will have undone, outdone, and overdone everything that ever happened. And the restoration won't bring us back where it was. It'll bring us where we would have been had there never been any sin. Hang on. Heaven's gates will open, never to be closed again. They're made out of pearl, and pearl can't swing. It's too fragile. They swing open the gates. Then the church is coming where we're living, and that's in the heavenlies now, which is supposed to be our residence. You have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, has raised you and seated you together in heavenly places, and he's going to unveil it. The only thing, there's a squatter there. That's the enemy, and we're going to get to sit with our daddy while he lets us help him tell the devil to go to hell. <laughs> hang on, hang on, one more minute. And while we're there, he's going to clean up the garden, the mess down here, because he gave it to the family, and he's not going to let the devil have it. So heaven and earth will all swing together, and it'll all be clean, and there won't be a trace there's ever been a devil. We'll be with our Father looking like him, walking like him, talking like him. Jesus as our big brother, as our very life, and the Holy Ghost as our breath. And look at me, we're going home, full and full, fulfilling what they said when they made their decision. Let us go. Make them in our image.